good morning. My name is Gabe. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm so, so delighted um, that we get to worship together today. Um, and I pray that this morning you are um, connected to the Lord Jesus. Um, maybe you're connected in a new way um, to somebody uh, new or somebody else um, in, in the body. Um, and I pray that you leave encouraged today and maybe inspired a little bit um, in your life. Well, hey, uh, the first thing I want to mention is uh, you probably saw this beautiful color card sitting on your seat. Um, and I just want to talk about this for a minute because this is an important aspect of our ministry here at New City where our mission is really simple but profound. I think the greatest mission on the planet Earth in the entire universe um, is helping people find and follow Jesus. And one of the most important ways we do that is through our next generation ministry. That's our ministry to children and to students. And um, it takes a ton of people um, to do that really well. And um, you know, we've got some awesome new realities. Uh, our church is growing. We're averaging about 200 uh, kids and students per weekend just here at the Matthews location. Isn't that incredible? Um, because you think about, you know, most people, if you don't come to Christ by the time you're 18, like the percentages, uh, the chances that you're going to start following Jesus after that fall way off. Um, it's not, nothing's impossible with God. There's lots of great stories about people starting to follow Jesus for the first time as adults. But the key time to start following Jesus is actually as a child or as a student. And so what an incredible opportunity that we have um, as a body here at New City to be part of the stories of hundreds and hundreds of, of kids. Because remember, they're not going to stay kids, right? Um, they're going to grow up. And, you know, they're going to live lives of impact and influence, and that's what it's all about. Um, here's the reality, though, is that we need your help. Um, we don't have enough volunteers. Um, and so I want to I challenge us this morning as a body um, to, to get involved um, so maybe you're like, Gabe, I, like, it's been a long time since I've like, had kids or you know, had little kids, or maybe I've never done that before. But the first thing is, I just want to ask you if you would pray uh, about this opportunity to serve in a key area of our church. And you know, God might surprise you. Maybe this is something you've never thought about before. But I want to invite you to pray for the next seven days, very specific prayer request. Um, and pray whether God's asking you to maybe volunteer to serve our kids or our students. Um, and uh, maybe some of you don't need to pray. You know right now that's something you want to do and you want to jump in. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to fill out this card, just simple, like your name and your email and your phone number. And then we just leave that with us today and we'll be in touch with you because we need your help. So there you go. Public service announcement, but a really important one in the life of the church and the future of the kingdom of God. Um, well, today we're taking a break from our series in Judges, and um, we're, we're going to do two messages on generosity. Uh, and maybe some of you are saying, oh no, it's the giving sermons. Um, I didn't know, I didn't sign up for that, I didn't show up for that. Um, but actually, um, it's, it, they're not giving messages, they're generosity messages. And let me tell you what the difference is. Generosity, and this is what we're going to explore today, is an inner posture of our heart, Okay. Giving is uh, one of the results of the outflow of that inner posture of our heart. 
And so what we want to talk about for the next two weeks is what does it look like to cultivate a heart of generosity? And only one, one outcome is that I give you know, resources or I give money, but actually when I develop a generous heart, lots of beautiful and good things happen in, in my life and in the lives of people around me. And so, um, so that's what we're leaning into the next uh, couple of, of Sundays. And I was really pumped to get to uh, share this message with you today because I think, you know, this is one of those topics that just has exponential impact. Um, if, if we receive um, what God has to say about uh, cultivating a generous heart, the way that works itself out in our lives is so beautiful and so good. And so as I was thinking about this message, I thought about, you know, the question, who's the most generous person that I've ever met? And like, how did they affect me? Who's the most generous person? And so I, w- I want you to just maybe think about that for a second. Who is the most generous person that you've ever met? And how did they impact you or influence you? And there's lots of people I could think about in my life, but, but um, two guys actually um, came, came into mind. Um, because of the impact of their generosity was so profound in my life. Um, so this was about 15 years ago, and I was in seminary, and I was living here in Charlotte um, with my wife and, at the time, two-year-old uh, little girl, Madeline. I was in full-time seminary. I was in full-time work. I was in full-time ministry. had a lot of things going on and basically reached a point in that journey where I felt convicted that I had to finish seminary because I had this calling to ministry, but that meant some changes had to happen in our life. And I remember sitting on the lawn one spring morning and Janet and I both realizing at the same time that if we were going to follow God uh, and, and be obedient to what he was asking us to do, that meant that I had to work less hours, spend more time in school, and that meant we couldn't afford our house. And I remember that moment like of realizing, oh my gosh, um, what does this mean? And so uh, long story short, we sold our house um, because we really believed that this was God's call in our life. And, and I remember in the weeks that followed that, people were like, but Gabe, where are you going to live? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to live. Um, but I feel really convicted that this is what God's asked us to do. And so I'm just going to wait on him to provide. And I didn't have to wait long because... Um, I was talking to somebody that worked at my church at the time, and a few days after I talked to this person, the church got a phone call. Um, And the phone call was from a guy named Grant um, and his friend John. And Grant and John were business guys, and um, they had made a lot of money, and they had bought a lot of uh, properties for real estate investments, but they had this one house that they couldn't rent out for some reason. And um, John actually woke up uh, in the middle of the night one night because he was really disturbed that their business venture wasn't going the way that he wanted it to go. And the Lord very clearly told him, if you would just give this house away, um, that, that'll be the answer. Um, and so uh, he called the church and said, hey, I've got this house. Um, I, do you know anybody who needs a house? And it was my friend that I just talked to a few days before they answered the phone. Um, and said, yeah, actually, I do know this guy that, that uh, is a little bit crazy and needs a house. And, um, and so uh, the next Saturday morning, Janet and I went and met John and Grant at this home. Um, and uh, they said, we saw it. It was actually, at that point in our lives, the nicest home that we had ever lived in. Twice the size of the home that we had just sold, believe it or not. And he said, hey, how about, how about a dollar a year for rent? 
um, and he never asked me for the dollar. And uh, we, we lived in that house for three years um, while we finished seminary. And, you know, when I think about that story, um, it's very moving because um, John and Grant and their generosity blessed my family by meeting a need in that moment, but it blessed my whole life because really it taught me about a heart of generosity and what it feels like to be on the receiving end of somebody who is radically generous. And so I wonder who those people are for you that you think about. Um, Who is the most generous person you've met? How did they affect you? Well, you know, um, we're going to explore that today, and I, I want to invite us, we're going to explore kind of three, there's going to be three movements in the, in the message this morning. I want to give you a visual just to kind of keep, keep your brain moving, um, and maybe as a way to remember what we're going to talk about. Um, and they're actually postures, okay? Because um, when we're following Jesus, I think our posture is, is really important, sort of the orientation of our life, the orientation of our heart. So the first posture we're going to explore is this posture which is a posture of what is it we're receiving from God about generosity? Because first we have to receive from him his ideas about generosity and see what that looks like. So in a minute, we're going to explore that. The second posture is this posture, which is a posture of what's happening in my own heart regarding generosity. So I'm going to receive from God what he has to say about generosity. I'm going to examine my own heart um, in terms of how am I doing in the way of generosity. And the third movement is going to be this, which is what does it look like for me to exercise a heart of generosity? So I'm going to receive, I'm going to examine, I'm going to exercise. And we're going to look at three different kind of stories um, as we move through those three movements today. So the first one, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read our key passage for today, which is in John chapter 6. And we're just going to read the first nine verses, John 6, 1 through 9. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? And um, thus ends the reading for today. You may be seated. So this is an amazing story. Um, just want, want you to imagine this in your mind's, mind's eye. Um, I always like to tell people, you know, as you're reading the scriptures, think of it like you're watching a movie. Um, there's scenes that are happening. You know, don't just put it in some sort of academic bucket that you might have. Like, imagine it. Like, these are real people in a real place, and there's a real story unfolding here. So just imagine in your mind for a second what's going on here. Um, is that uh, Jesus and the disciples are, are on a hill, and he's kind of teaching them. And, but he's had this ministry of healing sick people. And so in this culture, there's not a lot of doctors around. There's a lot of sick people. So he draws a crowd wherever he goes. Um, and so it says he, he looks up, and he sees 
a crowd coming their way. And I mean, this is a, a real big crowd. Um, we know in the text it's 5,000 men, and it was probably something more like 15,000 people. Can you imagine that? Like you're on a hill and you see 15,000 people coming your way. Um, it's kind of crazy. I imagine the disciples, maybe, maybe they're used to this, but I imagine they're freaking out a little bit. Um, and so it's also, it's, it's mealtime. And so there's a couple of questions I want to focus our attention on. And, and the first one is a question that Jesus asked Philip. It's a great question. So you imagine this scene, thousands of people coming their way. And Jesus kind of casually looks over at Philip and says, where do you think we could buy bread to feed all of these people? And of course, it's a, it's a bit of a rhetorical question. It's a question meant to teach because the answer is it's impossible. And that's Philip's uh, essentially his answer, as he says um, in, in one version of the text, it tells us that uh, it's about, it would cost like eight months wages. Um, if we were to work for eight months and save all our money, we couldn't buy enough food to feed all these people. So essentially, Philip replies correctly, it's, it's absolutely impossible. And so just imagine that scene for a minute. And remember what we're learning in this passage is we're learning to receive from God about his vision for generosity. Okay, and what is generosity? Well, that's taking resources that we have and helping meet a need, right? And so I think in this moment, the disciples, like they want to meet this need. There's hungry people, there's poor people, they feel some sort of obligation, so they want to meet this need, but they look at the resources required and it's impossible uh, for their resources to meet the need that is before them. And then in this other scene, okay, so scene two, act one, scene two, um, we have Andrew. And who is Andrew? Andrew is Peter's younger brother. Okay, Andrew's the one who introduces Peter and Jesus. And so once again, we find Andrew as the introducer. And Andrew introduces, um, and this is kind of just a, like a really hilarious scene, actually. So Andrew says, well, here's a boy, and this guy has five barley loaves and two fish. And just sit for a minute in the ridiculousness of that. Like thousands and thousands of people, hordes streaming over the hill towards you hungry. You're trying to solve this problem. How do we find them something to eat? Philip's like, it's impossible. We could work for a whole year and save. We could never buy enough money. Andrew's like, I, like well, where's food? Where's the only food we have? Well, this guy, he's got five barley loaves and two, two fish, which is basically like a loaf of white bread and two hot dogs. <laughs> Imagine Panther Stadium filled up and we've got a loaf of bread and two hot dogs. Um, it's, it's at that level of, of ridiculousness. Um, and Andrew asked the second great question. He says, what good is that with this huge crowd? What good is that with this huge crowd? And the answer is, of course, it's no good at all. If it's just about the, lo the loaves and the fishes, it's no good at all. It can't meet the need at all. And here in this moment, in this story, Jesus is teaching the disciples something very, very important um, about a lot of things, about who he is, who God is, but profoundly, what is God's heart of generosity? And here's a really important theme that we're going to hit over and over and over again this morning, is that God doesn't want or need your money or your resources to do his work. He doesn't want or need that, okay? 
what he wants is your heart. Because God created, remember, he's, he's the creator of the entire universe. With his words, he spoke into existence everything. He knew all of your days before one of them came to be. You think about how small and finite each one of us is, okay? Um, God doesn't need our money to get things done. He doesn't need what we have. Because he can do anything he wants, anytime he wants, but... Why does he involve us at all um, in what he's doing? Why is Jesus involving the disciples at all? Because couldn't he just go ahead and do what he's going to do here in a minute? Which is he's going to feed all these people and he can do that and he doesn't need the disciples to do that. But why the back and forth? Why the questions? It's because he wanted their hearts. He wanted to teach them something. And the thing that he wanted to teach them is faith. You see, in the kingdom of God... Money is not the currency. Money is not the currency. It's not what makes things move in the kingdom of God. That's what makes things move in the world, is money. But in the kingdom, faith is the currency. Faith is what moves things. Faith is what gets us in alignment with God's agenda in our lives. And so what is God teaching the disciples this moment? He's teaching them that money is the chief rival to God. God doesn't need your resources. What he wants is your heart, and he wants to grow your faith. So as we think about a theme of generosity, um, we have to first look at what God has to say about generosity. Um, but the problem is that we're a forgetful people, right? Um, we're forgetful people, and that's nothing new. The disciples were forgetful people too. Uh, we've been studying the book of Judges in the Old Testament, which is the story of the Israelites, who are in some ways the ultimate forgetful people because they ha see God do all these amazing things, and then over and over and over again, they keep forgetting the promises of God. Um, and so if, if we go flashback to the last few weeks we've been in, in Judges, uh, remember, God tells the Israelites, rid the land of all the, all the idols, right? I'm going to give you this promised land. I want you to enter into this place where you, where you live with me in perfect harmony, where I give you everything that you need. Um, and so he says, to do that, I need you to rid the land of, of idols. Um, well, why does he tell them that? Go back to what we just said. Uh, money and resources are not the currency in the kingdom of God. You see, in the world, in the, in the promised land before the Israelites came in there, uh, the pagan people kind of ruled that land, and the way that you ha made things happen was through idols, idolatry, um, pagan practices. And basically God's saying, I want you to get rid of all that. I don't want you to do it in the way of the world. I want you to do it my way. Um, but what is the response of the Israelites in that moment? Instead of doing what God asked them to do and, and rid the land of, of idols, instead, they invite God to join them and live among the idols. Think about that for a minute. Um, God wants them to be free. God wants them to do things his way. And instead, they reject God and say, no, God, you know, that's okay. I think we've got it from here. But you know what? It'd be cool if you came and joined us, um, you know, as we pursue things our own way. Have you ever been in a position like that? <laughs> I think we all have, if we're, if we're honest, in a position where um, maybe you knew what God wanted you to do, but 
in your heart as you examine the posture of your heart, you realize, I don't, I don't really want to do that because it's too hard. It's too scary. Um, maybe I just don't believe enough or I just really just want to do things my way. Whatever the reason is, we've been there before. You know, as I think, think about this second movement, again, movement one, receive from God his vision of generosity. He doesn't need our money. What he wants is our heart. But then we examine our hearts Okay, and the book of Judges is all about examining the hearts of God's people. Um, I think about a particular time in my life um, when I went through a period of examining my heart, and I found it to be very, very lacking. Um, It was just after I'd returned from um, the war in in Iraq, which is a period in my life where I lived without. Um, You know, there was... There was a lot of lack in my life. You know, I, I lived a, a very rough life for a year. And so when I came back, uh, what I, and I only realized this looking back at that time in my life, I really just wanted comfort. Um, and I really just I, just, I just wanted some fun things and I just wanted an easy life. And so we were living down in Clemson, South Carolina. I was teaching Army ROTC at the university and we had a condo on Lake Hartwell. It was a beautiful place. This is uh, before Madeline came along. So we were kind of living, living the dream a little bit down there. And um, I found myself absolutely obsessed with the idea of owning a boat. Um, and there's nothing wrong with owning a boat. If you own a boat, this is not a sermon about not owning boats. Um, although I have heard that the two best days in a boat owner's life is the day you buy it and the day you sell it. Um, just saying. But um, I went through a period where I just, obs- and I really mean obsessed, there was about a six-month period where this became the, the focal point of my life was, you know, every morning I'm waking up, I'm looking at this lake, um, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, I just, I just really, really, really want a boat. And so I'd buy back, back then, you know, it was before there was a ton of apps and things like that, I'd buy Boat Trader magazine, you know, and I'd buy every copy of Boat Trader magazine, I'm circling and I'm looking every free moment. I'm kind of thinking about this boat. And my wife, Janet, said, if you spend any more money on Boat Trader magazine, you're going to run out of money to buy a boat. Um, And she was probably right. And uh, so I finally found the right boat. And um, I go and see it, and I'm ready to commit to it. And I write the check for it. And Janet's like, hey, you're totally free to, 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 to buy this thing. But but, you know, I think it'd be wise if you just slept on it and just, just, just sleep one more night on it. And if you wake up in the morning, you know, you can take that check and you can go and purchase that boat. And so I went to sleep that night, really excited, check, signed, ready to go on my nightstand. Um, finally, the object of my obsession for all these months would, I'd finally have it. It'd be mine. And I remember I woke up at about two o'clock in the morning and I could not go back to sleep. And... Um, I went in the living room, and um, I turned to a passage in Ecclesiastes that said, basically said something in effect of, um, he who like, longs for money and things never has money enough. He cannot slumber. He cannot sleep. And here I was at 2 in the morning. I can't sleep. All I can think about is the obsession of this thing that my heart had longed for. And in that moment, I felt God's conviction that this wasn't what he had for me right now, that I needed to tear up that check, and this wasn't how he wanted me to spend my resources in that moment. And there's a longer story that follows, but essentially um, it, was in, it was in that year that um, we actually like, began a life towards ministry. 
and God turned our, our hearts in a different direction, turned our lives in a different direction. And I tell you that story because, um, you know, left unchecked, left to my own devices, I want all kinds of stuff that's all about me. Left to my own devices, I can just obsess about the smallest things or about a material possession or about a way of life or about a particular comfort that I want to have. And it's amazing how quickly that can kind of consume me. And I wonder if you have something similar to that in your life. Um, Something that's just maybe captured your heart. Maybe that's not a boat. Maybe that's a way of life for you. Maybe that's a certain standard of living. Maybe that's a home. Um, But there's there's things that are in our hearts um, that we're inclined to want more than we want what God wants for us. And so in our second posture, which we learn as we look at the book of Judges, a rebellious people, a forgetful people who keep inviting God, just, God, come on in. God, you can come on and ride on my boat too. It's cool. There was enough seats, you know. Um, you can come and, and just live the way that I want to live, the way I want to live it, but God doesn't work that way. And as we learn in the book of Judges, you see, God uh, didn't want something from the Israelites. He wanted something for them. He didn't want something from them. He wanted something for them. And the thing that he wanted was he wanted them to live freely in his promises. And you see, the same thing is true for you, is that God doesn't want something from you. God wants something for you. And that's why we have to spend time as Christians examining our hearts for things that have captured them lest um, they take us over and we miss what God has for us, which is always far better, is he wants us to live in freedom. He wants us to live with joy and with peace. And that only comes when the first orientation of our heart is towards him. Um, Well, as I said in the beginning, this is message number one. We're going to do one next week on generosity. And again, these are not messages meant to... um, make you guilty or feel obligated in any way. If, if you feel those things as you hear a message like this, um, I just want to say up front that that's not from the Lord. That's not God. Um, instead, if we leave these messages as, as I'm leaving them, because I always think, you know, if you preach, you're the one that like is receiving the most um, out of the message. And, and I, as I've studied for this and prepared, and I pray as you hear this, that instead of feeling guilty or obligated as you hear about generosity, instead, I pray that we feel convicted to trust God more, Um, that we feel convicted to give more cheerfully. Um, And I pray that as you examine your heart, those those things would um, happen for you as well. All right, so we've talked about uh, a posture, uh, the first posture, receiving from God, um, a picture of what he has for us in terms of generosity, examining our own hearts. And then the last thing I want to explore this morning is like, how does this work out? How does this work out in our own lives? Um, if, we, if we hear and see and examine and we realize like, you know what? I do, I do want to move towards a more generous posture towards others in my life. How do I do that? Um, and there's a lot of different ways we can be generous, right? We can be generous with our time. We can be generous with our relationships. Um, But there's one thing that I really do think the scriptures keep pointing us back to, which is the first way to to be generous is to to look at how we're spending our money. 
Um, why is that? I, I'm not exactly totally sure. I think there's a little bit of a mystery here. Um, but for some reason, money is a really big deal in the scriptures. It's a really big deal to God because not that money is actually important, but it's money is an indication of what's going on in our heart because of the way that our world works. Because we live in a transactional world where money is the way we get things, right? Money is the way that we make things happen. And think back to that initial story of the disciples, right? They see this huge need. They probably really want to please Jesus. They really want to feed the people. And, and what's their first reaction is, if we worked for eight months, we could never have enough money to meet this need, right? And so that's the way our world works, is that we work and we earn, and then we create transactions, and that's the way we meet needs and we make things happen in the world. But again, that's not exactly the way things happen in God's economy. And so as we explore how do I become more generous with my money specifically, we want to look at, um, and we're going to do this over this weekend, next week, uh, a passage in 2 Corinthians um, chapters 8 and 9. And we're not going to read through all of this this morning, but I just want to, I want to give some context and I think highlight a couple of principles that might be helpful to you as, we, as you explore um, what it looks like to become more uh, generous in your life. Um, so what's happening in this passage in, in 2 Corinthians um, is that Paul is actually going around taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. Now remember, the church in, in Jerusalem, that's the original church, right? That's that's where, uh, right after the um, resurrection, um, in Acts 2, we see the Holy Spirit come. We see the first church kind of is, is birthed in that moment. And, um, and so this is like 30 years later, okay? That initial church in Jerusalem is actually like one of the most impoverished churches. So actually they are lacking in financial resources. There's a lot of poverty in the community there. So Paul, who's now ministering to the scattered church, the church to the Gentiles um, outside of Jerusalem, is going around and collecting funds to support that original church in Jerusalem. And so uh, as, he, as he does this, he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, okay? Um, and, but he's referencing in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, um, which I don't know if we're going to pull that up or not, but um, he talks about the, the church in Macedonia, and he, and he says a couple of important things. Um, namely, in verse 5, he reminds the Corinthians that the Macedonians gave themselves first to God and then to us. And if we remember, how did Paul get to the church in Macedonia? He was in prayer, remember? Remember? He was in prayer, and then the Macedonian man came in a vision, and so Paul went because of this prayer that he had. He goes to the church in Macedonia. He preaches the gospel, and then they receive the gospel. The church is, is birthed there. And so uh, then we find that he's referencing this, this church in Macedonia and rem reminding the Corinthians that the Macedonians gave themselves first to God. What does that mean? In prayer right? In prayer, their orientation, their posture of their heart was to God, okay? And then because the posture of their heart was right, secondly, they gave themselves to us. And the Macedonian church, though not wealthy themselves, um, gave, a, gave a big offering um, for the church in Jerusalem. And so the first, and there's going to be five Ps that we explore as we think about how do we cultivate a generous heart and what does that look like 
to become generous to others around us. There's five Ps. We're going to cover two of them today. The first one that we learn from this passage in Corinthians is um, that we need to be prayerful in our approach to generosity, that we need to be prayerful. And this is just really simple. Um, I wonder, have you ever prayed about your generosity? Or have you prayed about that lately? And as I was studying for this message, I'm just going to be like really transparent with you this morning. And, and like the Lord really convicted me that, and Gabe, that's not something you've prayed about in a while. Um, you know, we can get kind of really comfortable in our rhythms and I think I'm kind of giving enough and um, nobody's really saying anything to me. Nobody's really complaining. But have I recently gone to the Lord and asked him, Lord, um, as I look at your picture of generosity, that you don't need my money to do anything, but what you want is my heart. Have I examined my heart? Um, and am I, do I, am I really being as generous uh, as, as God wants me to be? Um, and just honestly, before you today, I'll tell you now, I hadn't prayed that in a long time, but I'm praying it now. And that's my challenge to you this morning, too, as you hear this message. Um, I just want to challenge us to pray about our generosity, um, to pray about our, specifically our money and the way we're spending it. Um, and remember that God doesn't need your money. What he wants is, is your heart. But a spiritual discipline is that we become radically generous with our money. Um, God does what he did back on that hillside with the loaves and the fishes. What did he do with the little loaves and the fishes that on their own were insufficient, could not meet the need, he took that bread. This is a beautiful part of the story, I think. He takes the bread, and it says he blesses it, right? He breaks it, and then he gives it, and he gives it, and he gives it, and he gives it. And it's a beautiful image. It's actually the image that we rehearse every time we have communion. Um, this vision of God taking something, blessing it, breaking it, and giving it to meet needs in the world, right? And that's what he wants to do with you and with me. Because Jesus says, I am the bread of the world, right? But in the many ways, we are the bread of the world too, right? As we reflect the image of Christ in a lost and dying world, when we take our small amount of money, no matter how much money we have, it's small in light of the whole world, in light of everything that God owns. Um, but we take our, our resources Right, And we ask God that he would bless them and that through our brokenness he would give it um, and that he would multiply it, not just to feed one or two people, but to maybe do something amazing in the world. And so that's just a beautiful image, I think, as you pray about giving, just to have that in your mind that what God wants is faith, but he wants to show you something amazing. He wants to show you how he can take something small in your life, whatever it is that you give and multiply and do something far more than you ever imagined possible with that thing, okay? Second P, uh, prioritized. As, as we look at uh, uh, this letter to the Corinthians, what we learn, Paul basically is chastising them a little bit. He says that they were really good at giving at first, but somehow they've kind of fallen, fallen back on that. Maybe that's you as well, maybe there was a time in your life that you were really good at giving, and now for some reason circumstances in your life have happened, and, and you've fallen behind on that. Um, remember that following Jesus is always like walking up a down escalator. If we don't keep moving, we stop making progress, like, so we have to stay in the fight. 
and generosity is the same way. Um, and I wonder how you've, you've, you view prioritization of, of, of funds. Because if we're going to be generous people, we need to pray about it, but then we have to make it a priority. Now, here's the way the world kind of tells us to handle our money is, is that it says, spend everything that you want. If there's anything left, you save it. And if there's really anything left, kind of the crumbs at the bottom, that's what you give, right? So in the, in the world's kind of way of thinking, it's spend, save, give. And I found myself trapped in that cycle many, many times, Right? Um, but I think that's backwards from what God's inviting us to do here. And so what, what does it look like to make giving a priority? What does it look like for uh, the Corinthians that Paul is asking, you know what, I need you to be radically generous to give to this church in Jerusalem because God wants to take your small offering. He wants to multiply it in a way they could have never imagined that the churches at their time would explode into uh, the movement of Christianity that affects you and me today, is that maybe that looks like give First, that giving isn't at the end, giving is at the beginning. Um, and, and that's actually a biblical principle if we go all the way back to the Old Testament, is that we give before we do anything else. And so I just want to challenge us today as we think about a heart of generosity, as we see God's amazing generosity toward us, and we imagine what that looks like and examine our own hearts and then explore how do we make that a priority is that we pray about it. But the second thing is we make it a priority and we do it first. And that's an act of faith, is it not? Um, because you might be saying, well, I, don't, I, I can only just pay my bills. Like that's all I can do. And, you know, but I think it's an act of faith to go, I'm going to give um, in faith. I'm going to take the, a little bit that I have and offer it to God and see what he'll do um, with that. Okay, um, so three postures received from God. Remember that Jesus gave everything freely to us, okay, um, that we might model um, that life to others and that we might also give freely to others. And um, I just I want to highlight something as a way of closing is that um, if you haven't received it already this week, you'll be receiving a copy of the impact report from the church. Um, and the impact report is um, basically the story of your generosity in many ways. It's a story of ministry in, at New City over the last year. Um, and I just want to mention a couple of things about this, is that you know a year ago we were in a situation where we were having to really cut back um, on, on, on budget and really having to make some really hard decisions. And we weren't really sure what that was going to look like for, for New City, but because of your generosity, because there's a lot, ton of people in this church who have seen the generosity of the Father, who've examined their hearts and have given in faith, um, we've seen God do some amazing things, and you can read about those things in this um, impact report. Um, and um, it's amazing to see what God's done and what he's going to do. I think the best is yet to come for our church. So I just want to say thank you to our, our church body um, for being prayerful and for prioritizing giving um, because truly the Lord will multiply it in ways um, that we could never imagine possible. Just remember today as you leave that God doesn't want something from you. He wants instead something for you. Um, and let, let us um, pray together as we close. Father, we just thank you for um, the amazing way that you display generosity towards us. Lord, we just imagine you on that hillside. We imagine the crowds of people coming toward you. 
and your questions to your disciples that you could have just you could have just provided right there and not involved them, but you did because you wanted to grow their hearts of faith. Because you knew that that heart of faith, the story of the way that you took the five loaves and the two fish and you multiplied it in a miraculous way would be a story that would we would tell from generation to generation that would tell us about your heart. And Lord, we pray that as we examine our hearts, Lord, you would show where we're lacking. Lord, you would reveal to us and convict us, um, not that we'd feel guilty or ashamed, but Lord, so that we might be free in you, that we might get to experience just the amazing uh, reality of, of what it feels like for, for you to take something that we have, that we give, and see it multiplied for the sake of the world. So I pray for my brothers and my sisters in this room today, Lord, um, would you work in each of our hearts? Would you draw us to follow you in every way of life? We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.